creative babble. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode contains depictions of violence and may not be suitable for all audiences. Previously on Pretend Radio, John Cooper says that 20 to 30 church members surrounded him and beat him. And so they start yelling at me, and then, you know, one of them, like, sits on my legs, and then another one's, like, grabbing me by this arm and just, like, violently shaking me back and forth. And then, you know, there was people behind me, like, whacking me in the back and shaking me around and people grabbing my head. Uh, I I remember Jane, you know, very explicitly, and I have a recording of, of her, you know, saying, you know, throw them on the ground and get their doubles out, or that kind of thing. Often she would say that. Why didn't you get him and throw him to the ground and get his devils out? I'm Javier Leva, and this is Pretend Radio. Stories about real people pretending to be someone else. You're listening to part two of The Prophet. Start with part one, trust me, it'll make a lot more sense this way. Would you have allowed Stephen to be that way? If he'd risen up like that, I would have. You would have allowed him? But I would have. This recording is a bit hard to hear, but Basically, John Cooper says it's a conversation between Word of Faith Fellowship Pastor Jane Whaley and John Cooper's brother, Peter. Peter's questioning Jane if she thought it was okay for a church member to throw someone against the wall. If he'd risen up like that, I would have. But I would have. Right, but it's not right to use force like that. That's what I, that could have caused Whaley to throw. Let me think. You know, so basically the implication was like, you should grab them and shake them and whatever, and it's fine if they hit the wall, you know? And so then Peter was like saying, well, that's not right to use force. And you heard her, you know, yell and say, uh, you know, and then say, um, you wouldn't be serving God today if some force were not used to you. Today, we're going to talk about John Cooper's multiple attempts to escape what some describe as a cult. If you Google the Word of Faith Fellowship, it's become synonymous with horrifying rituals, physical abuse, and forced isolation. If what John is telling me so far is true, why would anyone want to raise their kids in this kind of environment? I asked John, and when his family moved to Spindale, North Carolina, things weren't so bad. So I was one. I don't remember anything before that. Um, I just kind of grew up there not knowing anything else. And then, like, as I got older, I started to realize things were weird. Uh, tell me, like, because from everything you re- you read about it, it sounds terrible, right? Like, Yeah. Just, but was it always as bad as they described? Like, no. Was it, like, from always that intense? No. No, so, like, uh, when I... When I was a kid, what I remember more was like... More like your typical childhood. He played with neighbors, he watched TV, he read books. At this point, the worst abuse hadn't started. 
But things weren't always so peachy. He says church discipline and spankings were always a constant. Since before he could remember, church leaders were always in control. As kids, like, we weren't supposed to actually talk to each other without an adult being present. They called it having a guard. If you were ever caught just talking to your brother or your, you know, your classmate or whoever without asking an adult to listen to your conversation, like, you, you were supposed to, like, lock in and say, can I, can I talk to so-and-so? Uh, and, and then they had to, like, listen and make sure that you weren't, you know, saying something you shouldn't say. And so if you didn't do that, you might get spanked. We were supposed to only talk about essential things like if we, you know, bumped into each other, you could say sorry. You know, like there were limited things you were allowed to say without an adult being present. But of course, we would try to run off and just, you know, talk. So. And this and, is all before it got bad. Right. 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 And this is like so as a kid, do you walk around even though it was normal for you? Like, did you walk around like in constant like fear that like, you know, any wrong yeah. move? Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever say, Dad, you know, what's going on? Like, is this... No, I was scared to talk to my parents about it. I mean, they were the ones, like, controlling me half the... You know, they were the ones, like, doing this stuff for Jane, uh, or influenced by Jane, obviously, but, like, they were the, if you will, perpetrators in that case. So I did, on occasion, I guess, tell my mom. I remember one, one time, you know, riding with her in the car, um, and I remember, like, saying, I'm done, Mom. And I was, like, I was a young teenager, like, I don't know, 12 years old or something, and I was, like, uh, I'm done. Like, I don't want to ever go back to that school or that church. And she, like, flipped out and, like, screamed at me and was, like, how dare you say that? And, you know, you're going to get to hell. And, again, all those normal things. That was one of the few times I remember actually saying it to her. I, like, I thought it all the time, but I was scared to say it. But that was, like, one of the few times I kind of mustered up the courage to say it and just got yelled at for it. Um, so yeah, I could, I could never really have that conversation with my parents, but I had that conversation with my brothers all the time and with a few friends. What's interesting is that at one point, his mother and father almost did leave the church. I do remember a period where they were trying to leave and uh, they, were, like, they were going to leave with most of us, but the problem was at that point, like, there's so many of us, some of the older siblings were living elsewhere, and my, basically the threat was if you leave, then like, you're going to lose at least several of your kids. So at that point in your life, did you realize that they wanted to leave? Or no, so we were... Afterwards? Right, so we were never... I didn't know what had happened. All I knew was that like... Uh, some of these ministers were always coming over to the house. Like, I knew something big was going on behind the scenes because, um, like, you know, these people were coming over. Uh, they were sleeping with us. Like, actually, one of them slept in my room a couple nights. And It could have been the threat of losing some of their kids or something else entirely. But the fact is, John's parents decided to stay. Now John is an adult and he's ready to leave. But there's a problem. He fell in love and now has a wife. It's easier to leave when it's just one person. But now there are two, which got me thinking, how did John end up with his wife, Jessica? The answer is, it wasn't easy. According to John, the church controlled every aspect of his life. He says kids have to report unclean thoughts and expose their sins. That means no flirting, no lustful thoughts. Can you imagine how hard it must be to meet a girl and fall in love? Having thoughts about girls, um, smiling at girls. I uh, so before my wife and I were married, when we were like in middle school or high school, I like smiled at her once and like got 
uh, we both got like uh, spanked and uh, kicked out for a couple days or something. Uh, like you definitely weren't allowed to touch ever, uh, not even hold hands, not like nothing, no, no hugs, nothing. Like it's it's abnormal for a probably a young guy not to think about you know uh, a sexual interest and so you know they I guess they you know know that and so like it was nonstop like if you weren't reporting something then they would assume that you were lying and that you were hiding uh, what your thoughts and so you almost had to from time to time give them something and so I would do that occasionally like. I would, you know, self-report something. I, of course, like the, I would report it in such a way that I knew, like, I would only get a little, you know, reprimand. If they suspect any sexual deviance, John says they'll surround you and confront you. They'll say, like, something's up with you. Um, and so they all get in your face and start yelling at you. You tell us what's going on. You tell us what's going on. You're giving to the unclean. We know you are. The way it works is, like, you have to ask Jane or her daughter, Robin, um, initially to, like, be friends with what they call be friends. So they don't use the word boyfriend and girlfriend because that's worldly, and they don't use the term dating. Um, they call it walking out of friendship. They, they have all their own lingo for things. Um, and, and so, yeah, you have to ask to, like, walk out of friendship. And then, and so then they have to prove it. It's not like the Word of Faith members have prearranged marriages. He says they just have to approve who you choose to be with. Most of the time, they would approve. Other times, they won't. And when John asked to be friends with Jessica, Jane said, yes. But the whole reason I'm bringing up John Cooper's love life is because of what happened next. So I remember one time, uh, and it was actually my wife, um, where they were, you know, dealing with her. Uh, that was, that's their terminology, dealing with you, right? Um, I remember uh, one of the ministers telling me to throw Jessica on the ground, and I was like, no, I won't do it. Like, um, this is before you were married? Yes, but, um, like, she told me to do it, and I was like, no, I will not do that. And so somebody else jumped in and did it, you know. Um, and you watched it. Well, yeah, I mean, if I would have gotten in the way then like then they do it to me and so there were times when I tried to stop what was happening or tried to you know say something um, to intervene in some way and they all turned on me and then I got beat up and that person still got beat up eventually John and Jessica got married here's Jessica speaking to the congregation during the wedding I was just crying out, God, I want what you have for me. Whatever it is, Jesus, that's what I want. And that's when God dropped John David in my heart at the same time that God put me in his heart. And we started walking out the relationship, and it was wonderful. And I knew it was going to be forever. Then John grabbed the mic. I'll never forget, um, Jane and Sam told us they would be our grandparents. And, and this has been the best place for me. I, I love this place. I can't judge the sincerity of their comments. Maybe they were just playing along. Maybe they had a change of heart. I don't know. One thing's for sure. John wants to go to college and experience the real world. But like everything else at the Word of Faith Fellowship, it's not going to be easy. For one, the church won't allow him to enroll at a four-year university. He has to start at the local community college first. If you went to college, um, you had to be on sort of a buddy system. Typically, there's like five or six other uh, college-age people who are with you. Um, sometimes they would actually put like older adults in the classes with you. You know, everybody was kind of monitoring each other. So, um, in college? Oh yeah, How like. How would they put older adults? Yeah, so there was one, uh, this lady named Bonnie. 
Bonnie is said to be one of Jane's protégés. So Bonnie probably took, I don't even, she took the same classes over and over for years there um, to be just so that she could be in there and, and like watch. So yeah, Bonnie w took hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of classes. Um, again, like I said, often repeating the same class over and over and over just to be in there and watch you know, these, these college-age kids. And the university didn't think that um, was weird or the college didn't think that Oh, I'm sure they did, but they allowed it, you know. After community college, John convinced Jane to let him finish his bachelor's degree at Wolford College, 45 minutes away in South Carolina. He could go, but under one condition. He has to go with his brother, Peter. My brother and I first started college again after being separated for 10 years. It was like, we were both scared. Like, is he going to tell? Am I going to tell? You know, and, and so sometimes we told on each other just because we were scared that the other one might, you know, and um, until we realized, oh, hey, he's not telling about, like, you know, you can do little things, like very little things and, uh, and like see, like, is he going to tell? And then he didn't. And I was like, oh, okay. So it took a little while, but... Um, but it was nice because like, we got to a point where we realized that we could still trust each other and, and then we were able to kind of not embarrass ourselves the way that we would have had to um, if it would have been someone else with us. Embarrass themselves? Yes, apparently Word of Faith members are supposed to make a scene in class if the professor offends them in any way. Like, if they wanted to play music for any reason, you were supposed to just like publicly like tell them no you can't play music because it's against my religious beliefs any music and then just walk out and like make a scene of it Did like you ever you, do that um so a few times i didn't want to but like the question was either i walk out with everyone like i'm told to or i know as soon as i get home from this class i'm i'm isolated for however long and probably kicked out of college for john getting kicked out of college was a real threat Getting kicked out for even a semester could be a real setback. Not only that, it was his only escape. Even though we were by ourselves there, like we were always having to check in and they knew our schedule. And so if we tried to do anything, you know, so basically what I'm saying is, you know, could never hang out with friends, could never really do any activities. So, yes, we got a small taste, but it was pretty much limited to just whatever happened in the classroom because we weren't allowed to do much else. John and his brother Peter graduated college and were planning to go to medical school. John got accepted to UNC's medical school in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. But there's a problem. John's brother Peter, he didn't get in. And the buddy system fell apart. Again, you know, the buddy system was such that we had to go together. And so Jane was like, you know, you're not going without him. I was already wanting to leave again for a long time, but that was kind of what pushed my timeline because I knew I had to, like, take that opportunity. At this point, John is married. He was trying to figure out how to start this conversation with his wife. So, you know, just broaching that conversation with her and saying, like, um, you know, like, I want to leave is, like, a hard thing to start because, like, if you say, if you say that and they get you in trouble, then, you're, you know, you go through all the normal, um, normal discipline. And that actually happened when they were first married. There had been a point where she had tried to leave, and I knew that, which is part of the reason that I was, like, comfortable marrying her, because <laughs> I was like, I know she's wanted to leave before. Hopefully we can get married and then leave. I knew she had wanted to leave, and so what I said was, like, hey, if you would have left, I would have left, you know, because um, we had been dating at that time. And, um, and you know, she, like, reported me because she was scared or whatever. Again, you don't know if you can trust each other, and, and there's, there's so many ways of, of you getting in trouble. Like, 
sometimes people crack under that pressure and you know uh, and go tell on themselves. So say we were together, I did something wrong, and you were like, oh, I'm not gonna tell on you, you know. And then later on, I get convicted. I get you know. Um, my kind of guilty conscience takes over and I'm like, oh, I have to report myself for all these things that I've done. And so, um, you know, you go like confess. So if you want to leave, you first have to overcome the psychological barriers, like the fear of going to hell. Then you have to prepare yourself for possibly losing your family. In John's case, his wife, his mother, his father, his siblings. If he leaves, he will lose the roof over his head and his car, because even though it was his car, the title was under someone else's name. I had to convince Jane to let me get the car in my name. Um, and I told her that I needed to build my credit, and she believed me. So, um, so it worked out, but it took a few months of preparation and trying to get things lined up. And then, like, where are you going to go? So you're losing everything. You're losing your, your income, your, your house, you know, everything. So, like, where are you going to go? Um, you, aren't, you don't really have friends on the outside. Luckily for John, he had the number of a friend who managed to leave just a few months before him. It worked out uh, such that I finally like, had somewhere to go where I had someone's number and I was like, uh, yeah, I called him up and I was like, hey, can we come like crash at your place until we can figure this out? John wasted no time. The day he got the car title under his name, he was ready to make his move. It was a Wednesday afternoon. We got that title in our name, and they had church Wednesday night, and so I was like, this is so perfect. So what I did was I, I like got dressed, ready to go to church that night. They were living with his wife's parents. So we told them, oh, we're, we're heading to church. We're just going to go to the gas station and you know fill up the car, which we did. So we went to the gas station, filled up the car, made sure we had you know gas, and just like waited there um, until like 6.30, which was the, uh, the time that church started. And so right at 6.30, we figured everybody would be gone from the neighborhood because um, there was a lot of, of members who lived in that neighborhood. So we like zoomed back into the neighborhood, grabbed, like, grabbed what we could fit in our car in, in like 10 minutes and, uh, and, like, and hiked it out of there. I was prepared to like, never you know, see my family again. John was the first in his family to leave the church. Then two brothers left, leaving behind their wives. Since then, most of all the siblings have left the church, except for one. Eventually, his parents left the church. We don't talk a lot about it, uh, just in general terms, like they've apologized on, on many, um, many times. The thing, too, is that my parents didn't know everything that was going on, even, you know, with us. Like, stuff would happen at school, but we were, like, told, don't you dare go home and tell your parents. So, like, they didn't know half of the abuse, you know. Like, yes, they spanked us at home and they controlled us and, you know, followed the rules, but, like, they weren't physically, uh, well, other than if you call the spanking abuse or not, is I don't know. But, like, they, they never beat us or punched us. Um, like, they weren't physically abusive in that way. John remembers getting a call from his parents shortly after he left. Um, told her that Jane was not allowing me to go to med school, um, and she didn't realize that either, um, that those meetings had been happening and Jane had been saying I wasn't going to go. So um, so once I explained things to her, like, she didn't believe me at first, but she, you know, because, like, that's a long mental leap. You know, what the things I was saying was kind of implicating that Jane was wrong. And so, again, now she's having to go through her own kind of struggle, I'm sure. Um, and so then her and my dad started talking to my other siblings, and then my other siblings were kind of corroborating what I was saying. So what happens now? After all the allegations, law enforcement investigations, what now? I know the psychological abuse is still in place. I know the isolation is still in place. So they, they disbanded the lower building, right, because, you know, 
the public found out about that, so that changed, you know. Uh, but those people were all still isolated. They just were isolated at home, you know. Every, you know, it changes, but it stays the same. And um, and so that's why, like, I know that uh, they're still abusing people. The people who have left after me are still telling, you know, stories of how they were, you know, how the abuse has continued, um, but just changed in different ways. It took me a while after I became an adult to get out just because of the logistics and the, you know, all the control that was in place. Um, and so, so I understand that. But what, what really I care about is like the kids who are there. Um, it, you know, I was that kid. I mean, I didn't know any different. And um, I remember just my whole life, like thinking of wanting to leave and like, how, how am I going to get out? Like, where am I going to go? Or you know, um, and just like crying at night, or you know, just feeling like tortured, you know. And uh, and. So that's why I want to, like, want to talk about this. I want to make something happen. You know, it needs to stop. In case you're wondering, I've reached out to Joshua Farmer, who represents a Word of Faith Fellowship, and I'm eagerly awaiting his phone call. I requested to speak to Pastor Jane Whaley directly and get her side of the story. I'm naturally skeptical about everything I hear, so I really want to sit down and learn more about her faith and some of the allegations made against her and her church. Next time on Pretend Radio, we're going to look at this story from a completely different angle. We're going to hear from current Word of Faith members and get their side of the story. So John David wants to paint this picture and twist this to fit his narrative that he was psychologically controlled and manipulated by Jane Whaley and his every move was dictated. Been here for 22 years and I don't know anything about the abuse that has gone on in this church because there was none. We're also going to hear allegations about the church's influence and its reach beyond the pulpit and all the way to the assistant DA's office in a nearby county. Our theme music was composed by Other Electricities and Adamus and Dimpass. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends. There are so many amazing stories I have to share with you. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, follow us on Twitter, pretend underscore radio. Creative power.